3: The following is a presentation of the SpeedSport Podcast Network.
2: Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three
3: or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battles for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world, Hear the stories of
2: NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart?
1: I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed
3: Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass. Here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by my Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment or collision need. Today's guest, Mike, currently the VP of competition at Richard Childress Racing. He's a former NASCAR crew chief, driver, team owner, broadcaster. He cut his teeth at local short tracks, most notably Hickory Motor Speedway. By age 28, he was already a Winston Cup Series crew chief, best known as the crew chief for Dale Earnhardt In the title-winning years of 1993 and 1994, after a long career as a crew chief, he became a car owner, fielded 322 Cup Series entries from 1996 to 2003, winning twice, taking six polls, scoring 16 top fives, and fifty-four top tens. He was a co- color commentator for ESPN and ABC's NASCAR coverage, so that makes him a broadcast professional. He was also a rules analyst for Fox NASCAR. Welcome to the podcast, Andy Petrie.
2: Andy, say hi to Mike Wallace. Hello, guys. Good
3: well, to be hi.
0: on with you.
2: Well, it's it's wonderful to have you on, man. You you've got a credential career established. Just that's a the, nice resume, right? The read-through. Yeah, you. We're done. <laughs> okay, that, can't now, ask for anything better than that. Now you got to tell us why you did all those things. Yeah, yeah. Andy, So the the nice part about our show, Andy, is we we have a huge, huge audience. Jeff, how big's the audience? The whole world is listening, Mike. The uh, whole world. Yes. So Andy, no pressure, but the whole world listens to this show, and uh, we found out the fans uh, of the show love to hear the story of of how you become who you are. We say, who were you before who you are? And uh, they know you as the popular Andy Petrie on, on television, car owner, crew chief, things like that. But if you don't mind taking us back in time, uh, as far back as you can remember, how and what got you interested even in motorsports? Wow. Because that's what the show is based around. <laughs> we're
1: going to go way back. Oh, <laughs> it, yeah. It is. It's way back in
2: time. But the, yeah. the greatest part about the way back in time, it's it's through you. You tell us about it. So uh,
1: yeah, how about taking you know, us back Mike, there? I'm, I've been so blessed in my career in my life, really. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up, uh, about five miles from Hickory Speedway. You could actually, you know, hear the cars running, you know, from my, my house when they were over there racing. But, um, I didn't really know about anything with, with racing until my uncle actually took me to a race. And I think it was in 1969. I was 11 years old. Um, we went over there for a Sunday afternoon race. And um, I remember, you know, getting out of the of the car in the parking lot. And I've told the story before, but I, as soon as I got out of the car, you could sure hear the car's practicing on the track. And I'm like, oh my God, what is that? And if you've been to Hickory, and I know you have my, there's a ramp that comes right up from, you know, on the front straightaway there from the parking lot mm-hmm. where you go in the track. And I remember just running up that ramp to see what was going on. And I'm telling you, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was hooked from that minute. Right then, I knew. Right then, that's it for me. That my whole life was going to revolve around this. And um, you know, like I said, I was only 11 years old. I I end up, you know, convincing my mother to just drop me off up there, like dropping you off at a movie theater or something, picking you back up. And uh, you got in, if you were 12 and under, you got in free, right, with a family. So I'd just find a family to walk in with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, I would. I'd adopt a kid. Right in there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> or adopt and a I'd go there and
1: find a seat. And I remember sitting up in a, a section of Tommy Houston fans. He was a legend up there at the time. And um, and watching him and Ned Setzer and uh, a lot of those guys kind of duking it out. I think Harry Gantt was actually racing then, too, at Hickory. Um, but I was just so, so hooked on it you know i mean my, my grandfather owned the chevrolet dealership at newton at the time news and cross chevrolet so that's the, the the reason i was there is because my uncle drove the 69 pace car you remember the 69 camaro that had the, the stripes on it Oh each yeah. dealer got one of those and so you know my uncle was driving us up me and my cousin up there in that car in that convertible so they so used it for a pace car
2: so what do you think is that young 11 year old because um uh there's a lot of conversation today in today's race world of how you attract young people to watch racing. What do you think when you were 11? What do you think was the the trigger point that you went, "Oh, simple. This is what I'm going to do from now
1: on." You know, it's hard to explain. Like, you know, you you've got the same passion I do,
0: yeah. and
1: I'm sure it kind of bit you the same similar way. But and I, it's hard to really, you know, put a put a finger on what exactly is it that that made me so passionate about it i don't know so it's you know the the sound and the, i can still smell the cars back then that's and what i'm
3: saying i and, think it's a combination yeah. of things it's the it sound is. it's the smell of fuel and rubber and then when you get a look at those cars with their bright you know paint schemes and whatnot you look at it go god that is so cool
1: and they're hauling the mail this is an old three-eighths mile track and they're <laughs>
0: flying around there
1: i'm like good lord this is so neat that's what i they call it i racing. would find a place in the grandstands where they were going the fastest like right going in the corner so you could get that sensation of speed. And, you know, then, then all of a sudden you start pulling for different guys. And, you know, they're, they're like, you know, heroes and icons, you know, like Tommy Houston was, was one of those for me. And, and John Settlemyer, who was a five-time track champion at Hickory Speedway, he worked for my grandfather in the service department a mechanic and race up at Hickory on the, you know, on the weekends. Um, so I kind of, you know, kind of got attached to him and, um, as we, as I started growing up more and getting into it, I was hanging out over his shop and trying to just—I mean—asking a million questions. I mean, they got so tired of seeing me come around. <laughs> Every time I would see something, I didn't know. I'd, what is this? What does this do? What, how does that work? Why do you do this? You know.
2: <laughs> hey, Andy, you're talking about John working at the car dealership and mm-hmm. uh, as a mechanic or whatever his position was there. But if you don't mind, t- tell people that not everybody is a professional race car driver. Not everybody yeah. gets paid to drive race cars. All this Saturday night, Friday night stuff is guys work regular jobs during the week.
0: Oh, yeah, means. they
1: work a week to make enough money to go and race on the weekend and then do it all again the next week. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a passion that people, like, I remember me too, Mike. I I, I just, I would work all week at doing whatever job, just to have enough money to go to a race, go, go you know, and be able to, to, I would work for free for anybody that would let me help them. And I would work all week just to pay my way uh, at another job. So that's how much we loved it back then. Uh, I can remember the first paid full-time position that I got in racing. I, could, I thought I'd hit the lottery. I'm really? like, good Lord, I'm getting paid to do what I love to do. And, that, you know, again, getting a paycheck for it, it was just, you know, it was crazy. It's um. That's why I think I'm so blessed because I've been able to do, you know, something I love dearly and do it my whole life basically so youngsters know,
3: these days don't understand that do they mike well, well I, you I, did the same thing i've heard you talk about that before
2: yeah and that's why i just asked andy to explain it because there's a lot of talk today i mean really i'm sure andy hears it in his position and you know we're all everybody's dealing with corporate sponsor dollars corporate interest how do you get people interested in the sport and it's like the young kids just don't seem to have the real attraction well, i would say that's
1: a big yeah. bucket mike i think there's still a lot of young people yeah. Uh, kids out there that do have this passion i mean we i see them still uh today you know we got jesse love going to be driving our x-entity car young fellow that got the got bit same way i did really so okay they're out there it's just you know i don't know that it's um as many you know the the, the the younger you know generation don't seem to be as car cent you know centered like we were um but they're out there there's a lot yeah. of motorsports passionate young people out there
2: so we do know that I know because I've known you for a long time. Like everything you've done, you were very have been very successful at. But I need to go back to that adopt a family as you walk in the racetrack deal. Did you get them to buy you a Coke or a hot dog? <laughs> as part I of think that?
1: my mama gave me enough money to go buy a Coke and a hot dog. I can't remember all that. Okay. It didn't matter, man. I didn't even care. I just wanted to be there. But they couldn't. And after that, they, they there couldn't be a car crank up over there that I could I had to be there. They couldn't run a lap around that track without me being
2: there. That's outstanding. I would, I
1: would run up there, you know, to get just to see them run.
2: So, what age do you think it was that uh, after you experimented or experienced everything in the grandstands that you got your first opportunity to hang out in somebody's shop, wipe the window of a car, push a broom, and actually end up yeah. at the racetrack with them?
1: So that kind of happened. Um, as I, you know, I'm always trying to scheme a way to be able to, I wanted to drive. You know, everybody sees this thing the first time. You want to be a driver, right? I mean, that, that's what everybody dreams about. I was a kid that thought, man, I just want to drive on those cars. And, and so I figured out a way along, you know, to scheme, to get people to, because I didn't, like I said, we didn't have money. We, were, we weren't wealthy and it cost. even back then it cost a lot of money to race. And I got a guy named Jimmy Newsom who owned a tire, his dad owned a tire store. And then he ended up owning it right quick, but uh, Newsom Tire and Newton, and I got him Kind of convinced to go together and build a car right and what what we were going to do is is build this car the deal was we'll build a car to go up there and run in the limited sportsman division at hickory i was 16 or 17 at the time and um we would basically audition for the job of driving it whoever could drive it the best you know would get would get the job of driving uh, I, mean, I knew all along it was going to be me, right? I didn't put no doubt <laughs> <about> drive him, right? <laughs> you got all the <laughs>
0: talent. What the heck? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh,
1: man, by this time, you know, I'm the best driver's ever lived, you know. I'm, I know I'm good. I had never said in one, but I just know I'm good.
0: <laughs> so we
1: go through this process of building uh, a car, and it was like a college education for, for my career, right? I went through this basically a year, better part of a year, we built this thing, and, Built it from a '64 Chevelle frame, and we got us a Nova. Bar. I'm sitting here looking at a picture of it on my wall in my office. I still really? got it here. That's cool. Yep. Um, and I've got it here. The, it, the picture that I'm looking at was the day after we ran it in the first race. But I'll get—I'll get to that. We so we get this car to a point, um, and we borrowed money, beg, borrowed everybody, you know, trying to get people to help us. Our dads are giving us what they can, and we even get, took a loan out for a couple thousand dollars at a local bank. And so we get this car almost. To a completed stage but we don't have an engine yet and just like every racing operation you know we underestimated the budget of what it's going to cost to do this we don't have enough money to even buy an engine you know build one or whatever and about that time Dale Jarrett walks in there now he was he went to the same high school I did it actually a classmate of Jimmy Newsom. they went they were in the, they were about the same age and they're they a couple years older than me but uh, Ned Jarrett walked in with Dale it was one night. We worked every night on this car in this, in this tire store. And uh, they talked, made small talk for a while and basically got down to it. Dale wanted to drive that car. And they were trying to figure out a way, you know, that we would allow Dale to drive this time. I'm like, heck no, man. You know,
3: <laughs> I'm thinking this ain't hey, working. Look, we ain't That's looking for see. a driver. You didn't tell him you didn't have an engine,
1: though, yet. <laughs> no, no, they knew that. They knew we didn't. They, so they, they'd gotten involved enough to know we didn't have one yet. So Ned proposes that. You know they'll provide the engine for this car if we we'll let Dale drive it. They'll pay for it or whatever. We hadn't decided where we we're going to get it yet, but they said they would. They would, you know, finance that part of it. And I was still dead against it. I mean, I know. I'm not doing that. Oh, you got to take that deal, though, man. Come no, on. He, he's a driver, to drive, man. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what I, I told you. So they leave, and me and Jimmy have this talk about it, right? And Jimmy says, "Nah, we got to do this deal. We got to do this deal." You know, and we're 50-50 partners, and you know at the end of the day i did want to see the car race so if we're gonna if we're gonna get it on the track we're gonna have to do this deal so we i reluctantly agreed to do that and um you know the rest is this kind of history right it sets my career path more of a of a crew chief um and obviously dale's uh career as a, as a driver and he you know we both did pretty well i think so um I don't have any regrets about it, but, you know, at the it time. It was a bummer was like, at the
2: time, wasn't it?
1: was. <laughs> so, oh, this is the best part. This is the best part. So we run the first race at Hickory, and Dale starts in the back because we didn't get there in time to qualify. Very first race, and he drives all the way to ninth place. So he he's already proven it. he's good at it. But I wanted to just take that car around the track one, you know, a lap. And so the next day, me and Jimmy take that car up on Sunday. Back then, you could just drive in the track, you know. So we take it up there on Sunday. And um, we flip a coin, who goes first? Jimmy goes out there and drives it first. Just wanted to drive it. You know, see how – so he looks He looks like his, my grandmother's out there <laughs> driving. <laughs> He's not going anywhere. Right? I'm I'm dying laughing. He comes in. I said, get out of that thing. I'm going to show you something here. My cousin was there. No, Blair Newsom, he was there. And so <laughs> I get in this car, and I go out there and proceed to, to lower the track record in the limited sportsman division. Damn. Okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> I drive down Pit Road, and I'm like, put, you know, if I got my arm out. I'm like, that, by God, that showed him. <laughs> I get in there, my cousin is dying laughing, and I'm like, what? He says, you look just like Jimmy. Oh, you <laughs> thought you were so fast? <laughs> oh yeah, in my mind, I had just lowered the track record, and they're sitting there dying laughing. <laughs> so that's when I realized that it's a lot different actually sitting in one of those things and watching them go around. <laughs> it's a, yeah. It's a lot harder to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I was actually yeah, thinking you, he really did lower the right. track
2: record. The first yeah. time you get in there, you think you're flying
3: and then yeah. they tell you how fast you went and then you go, right. damn, I can do that. I want to do that again. Let me do that again. <laughs> 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 uh, All right, it's a good uh, time for a break right here. We're talking to Andy Petrie, and you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, powered by MyRacePass and NASCAR Digital Media.
2: Hi, it's Mike Wallace. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle that's currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off of new and used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Ficken, Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now.
3: Welcome back to the SpeedSport Podcast Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. We're in the Wayback Machine with Andy Petrie once again here. Here's mike wallace
2: well andy after that hot lap at hickory motor speed where where you didn't set the new all-time track record <laughs> but thought you did and driving wasn't quite <laughs> as easy as you thought it was it kind of set more the tone of where your your career he- headed from that point so w- with that in mind and maybe it was uh not being a driver at that point was a little easier what did you guys do at that point did you uh continue to race that car for a while or how long did yes
1: that in we ran of- that car for two seasons um At Hickory Speedway and at uh, Asheville Speedway, on Friday night we ran up there, and then Saturday night at Hickory, Uh, we did that for two years. That that first car we ran, you know, that whole season, um, and I got to give props to Tiger Thompson. Stone, he is, um, he he had a parts business, still does, I think, right there in Charlotte, and uh, just you know the fact that we you know were related and you know tied to Ned Jarrett, he he basically let us run a tab all year, right? right? Never didn't pay for, yeah. And we couldn't. At the end of the season, we couldn't. We, you know, we just couldn't pay it. So we sold. We sold the car for just enough money to pay that. Pay that tab down at Tiger's. Right? And and without Tiger, we couldn't have raced that year. So I have to give him props for that. He had enough faith in us that he'd get paid back, Get paid for that. But um, but we did that then. So the next year, we we were able to put another car together. We ran another season in limited sportsman, and then. You know, Dale kind of moved on from that. What uh, were you doing,
2: Andy, for a, a living at that point? Why did you? Well, so some... I went
1: to National Auto Diesel College uh, a little bit in in that time frame, um, and and didn't went through all the automotive phases and everything. I didn't. I realized pretty quick I didn't want to be a diesel mechanic. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hands get and dirty, I red, man, but... <laughs> Yes, I don't know. <laughs> so I I come back and I I work. Uh, Basically, I worked for Jimmy in the tire store at the in the beginning of that, and then uh, a doctor in town opened up a service station, and uh, basically I ran it for him. And, and little known fact, Dale Jarrett worked for me there, pumping gas while I worked on cars in the in the uh, in the garage bay.
2: Really, that, that's a yep. unique story, and yep.
1: that is pretty cool. So then we both actually at one point worked at Dixie Boat Works. I can't, you know, all these jobs kind of run together. But then I sold batteries for a while. Um, but uh, go back to that that service station gig lasted for you know maybe a year not even that long and he got an offer from the county to sell it the owner uh did the property to build a community uh, recreation center there so we basically closed it down i'm looking for a job now this is this is where it's really a key point in my career my wife at the time was pregnant with my first son and um you know, out here I lose my job. I'm, I just bought a house. All these things are happening to me, and I, but I wanted to work in racing, and so I, I told Ned Jarrett, I said, "Man, you got to please try to help me get a job." You know, in in the Cup Series, you know, with somebody because he had so many connections. One one thing led to another, and now finally he I get a call from from Ned to tell me to go down and meet Junior Johnson down there in in Ronda, North Carolina. And that uh, he was going to talk to me about being a tire changer for Daryl Walter. That was 1981. And uh, so I go down there, and they'd had some problems on the pit crew, and he was going to replace the rear tire changer. And Ned apparently really oversold this. <laughs> <laughs> nah, and I, I'm telling you, this is no no kidding. Really this, oversold this, it. This is how I'm telling you, this is how it went. i would never now we're running limited sportsmen, right? We don't we don't change tires. We want to make pit stops. But he convinced Junior I was this great tire changer, right? <laughs> And so he hires me on the spot to go. And back then they didn't practice. You didn't have practice sessions where they, you know, have pit practice in the back and they see how good you do or any of that stuff. I got in the hauler with Henry Benfield and went to on a West Coast swing from you know, Texas at College Station, Riverside.
2: Well, um, let me interrupt. Anybody that knows Henry yep. Benfield, that had to be a
1: great trip by itself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was. That's a whole
1: podcast in itself.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> So, anyway, so we get, and I'm so nervous, that he's because I've got to change tires. for They're leading the points at this point. This is like in June of 81. Um, so we hit the College Station, qualified, like, somewhere in the top 10. First run of the race, I don't have a radio on there. You know, Tim Brewer's crew chief, front tire changer. He's telling me everything we need to do. And so all of a sudden, just in that first run, here he comes down pit road under green. I'm like, oh, God. So I'm getting ready to go out there and change, you know, change tires, because I think he's got a flat. And as he comes by me, I can see water running out the tailpipe, and I'm like, "Oh, thank God, we don't have to change the <laughs> 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 motor is blown up right We're out. <laughs> so now the pressure's wow, off. Got next... that one out of the way. <laughs> yeah, so now the pressure's off. We're gonna go that, then jump in the hauler, and we go to college uh, from College Station, Texas, out to Riverside, and um, and so we get out there, and I mean, I'm in my mind, I've changed a thousand tires. Like, how is this gonna work? So my first time, and I try to tell these, these new pit pick, pick guys out here, is they don't even know pressure, right? Here I am with a, a, my wife's pregnant with my first son. I'm, this is the only gig I've got. <laughs> I've got to make it work. We come in, the, the, we walk out on the pole, leading the race, caution comes out, and Junior Johnson's jacking, and he holds up four fingers. And I'm like, okay, here we go, four tire change. <laughs> first time I ever changed a tire in my life, we were leading the race. <laughs> at Riverside, and the the rest of the story is, and I don't think all the stops went that smooth, but at the end of the day, we did win that race, and and so it kind of it kind of worked out, right? So you but, did
2: good, is what you're saying.
1: It, well, good enough. Good I didn't enough. get fired. Yeah, apparently, Got to yeah. go to the next race. Fink your way through it, real good. <laughs> I think Darrell made up for a lot of it, but <laughs> you know, it's
2: funny. He mentions Junior Johnson. I remember seeing what I call old pictures of Junior as the Jackman. -hmm. And he'd do that, but he didn't. He swing the jack. He didn't carry it. He he grabbed it by the handle, and he he swing that thing around the front of the car or the back of the car. Man, if you weren't clear, he'd take you out of ankles. You
1: know. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, But that was a huge break for me, and and so I changed tires for them, you know, for that team for that year and won the championship and um, got to go to New York. It was the first year that they went to New York for the championship banquet.
2: So your first year in working in racing, (laughs) you're a tire changer and never had changed a tire in your life. (laughs) Never. And you won the championship and and got to go to New York. Yeah, that's
1: amazing. It was amazing. I'm telling you, I've been so blessed. Now I know
2: why you a success from there on, man.
1: <laughs> well, it was just it was dumb luck, really. I mean, if you think about it, and Ned Jarrett going just way out there telling Junior how good I was as a tire changer, not knowing. Yeah, well, you
2: know. Hey, you got to baffle him with BS now and then to get that door open, right?
1: <laughs> he did it for me. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> great.
2: So, so after that uh, that awards banquet that that year, th- then what goes on?
1: Yeah. So. Uh, one thing about the divorce uh, weekend is we we had a team dinner in the top of the World Trade Center, so that was kind of special. But you know, it was back in uh, what eighty eighty one. So. Eighty one or eighty two? There, yeah. Yeah, so I got to see that. Uh, it's no longer there, but I did get to see that building. Um, but then after that, um, you know, they kind of went a different direction. They they gave the guy that that I replaced on the pit crew a, a second chance for the next year, and because he he was one of the guys in the shop, and so I went for like as a backup to one of the races, and I'm to Daytona, the first race, and um, just happened to be there, and Johnny Hayes walks up to me and wanted to know if I would change tires for Phil Parsons in the X-Entity race, and um, I said, sure, I'll do it, so I now jumped Johnny on Johnny Hayes deal. was
2: the guy in charge of U.S. Tobacco Racing or something, right? He,
1: he was. He was the, the main guy at U.S. Tobacco at the time, and uh, Phil Parsons was sponsored by Skull. and um, so I did that, and that's kind of started a relationship with Johnny and, and, and Phil and, and the whole, the whole skull, you know, environment there. I mean, they were doing Harry Gantt with the cup car. Um, Phil was just, like I said, running Xfinity, I guess at the time they called it the Budweiser series. And then it changed to the Bush series. But um, so I was actually selling batteries for a living at this point. I had a battery truck and a route. Um, and then at night I would go over to Harry Gant's shop in Taylorsville and help you know, Phil and, and the guys that were working on the car for prep it for the next race. So, so how do you sell a battery
2: of out of a truck? Tell me how that worked.
1: Well, you just have different places. Like, I'd go to the service stations or different places, like, use car lots. Um, and you just basically have a route that you ran every week or, you know, and, and, and stop in and, you know, fill up their racks that they'd sold batteries and take in the used ones and then go to the warehouse and, re, you know, restock. Okay. Yeah, I mean it was a decent gig. It, it I don't wasn't getting rich doing it, but at least I was able to pay Batteries the bills. Batteries
3: sell themselves. You either need one or you don't. That's right.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it wasn't too hard.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Have you went and bought a battery
2: recently? Oh my gosh. Oh,
1: I I've got to go buy two for my little helicopter mover. I'm dreading it. Ain't cheap. Not, yeah. cheap.
2: <laughs> not at all. So. You're the battery salesman. Then, then you go from where? To, what's the next step in racing? Yeah,
0: so
1: we do that deal for most of the of the '82 season, and um, and had a great time. Man, we had a really good group of guys um, working on that thing. And at the end of that year, Benny Parsons had lost his ride with Rainier. and um, and Johnny was going to try to put a little deal together to just take and run a few races in in Cup with him. And he t- he said, "We're just going to take this group of Xfinity guys, and we're going to go run." five cup races, four or five cup races at the end of the 82 season with Benny. So Travis Carter, who was running the team for Harry Gant and Skull sponsored, he prepped the car, the first one. Um, Then we basically, he hauled it to Michigan for the first race. And that's where I met Leo Jackson. Uh, That's who Johnny had kind of tagged to be the crew chief and run that, that little program. And uh, we go up there to Michigan with me and Leo and, uh, Scott Ned, I think, was one, and Gary Snipes, and, you know, just a handful of guys that had been doing that Xfinity thing. And, shoot, we finished fifth, I think, in the first race doing that. I think we finished the top five almost every one of them we ran that year with Benny. I mean, Benny was a heck of a driver. Huh. So that then that kind of grew into another deal where we started running the Skull Copenhagen car for Benny and formed that team. That was kind of my first full-time job of, you know, racing, was working for Johnny Hayes, Benny Parsons started 83 season was the first year that we, we ran that.
2: So at that time, Johnny Hayes, was he the team owner or was he the – He kind of was, okay. yes.
1: But it was kind of a – it really was a company-owned team, and Johnny was the front okay. of it and, and and was considered the owner. Um, so, But then I think they wanted some separation from that, and so that's when they offered it to Leo Jackson and his brother Richard. To you know, take you you guys take over the ownership side of this. We'll sponsor the car, and so that's when it became you know basically you know the Jackson brothers. I worked for Leo, um, and Benny. We ran, you know, fifteen races a year. We didn't run the whole season. We ran the bigger races, and uh, we did that for a handful of years.
2: So so that went on and uh, have success there, or average, or what do you think? Yeah,
1: we did pretty good. You know, we went in. I don't remember eighty three, I believe. It might have been the last race of the year in 83. We went to Riverside, um, was our last one we ran. And we, we put a lot of effort in that car. And if you remember how that race finished, you've probably seen it somewhere on YouTube. It was, it was Darrell Waltrip and Tim Richmond racing for the lead. And right at the end of the race, it started raining. And so it looked like you're coming to the caution flag for rain. And it looked like it probably end the race. So they end up crashing. And Benny comes across and gets the lead. And we think, heck, I felt like we'd won. And um, ran a lap or so under caution. And then it stopped raining just long enough. They said, hey, we're going back green again. And it went for one lap green. And and Bill Elliott passed Benny going into turn nine, coming to the deck caution again for rain and ended up being the winner. That was and it. Huh? His, that was his first win. That was Bill Elliott's first win. Oh, wow. So we almost yeah. won the first year. But we did. We did win the uh, race the next year. Benny said that that one was on him, that he didn't drive in there hard enough and worried about the rain. He said, I'm going to make it up to you guys. And I'm telling you, he was on a mission. We didn't win Daytona, but the next one we ran was Atlanta, and he won that one and he took won. it away
2: from Dale
1: Yarborough and Dale Earnhardt.
2: What were you doing on the team at that point, Andy? What was your position? I
1: was a, I was a tire guy and a mechanic. Um, you know, Cliff Champion was kind of what you would call the car chief, uh, crew chief. And uh, Leo was the owner. You know, he was making a lot of the decisions and calls. Leo was, but um, yeah, I was just one of the mechanics that was working on the car.
2: Okay. So, so from that point, you you guys now is that a full season ride? At that point, you guys run the full. Well, season? Well, that was
1: just like I said, we're still running the the half season, the big races. Okay. But, you know, not but you won a race, track. so
2: you guys are a winner yep. there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So we, you know, go to Darlington the next week and actually sit on the pole or, or the, the next race. I think it might have been the next week for us, but. Um, that's when he crashed on the first lap, him and Bill Elliott racing for the lead on the first lap, and Benny hit the wall. Wow. Which wasn't hard to do at Darlington. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but that, that went for a while. And so then when we get to, you know, the 87 season, going into the 87 season, you know, Tim Richmond had gotten sick and they needed a driver, so they hired Benny to go drive at Hendrick, drive the, uh, the 25. I think they even changed the number to 35. So we're going to run the whole season now with Phil Parsons uh in 87 so in mid mid season of 87 leo named me the crew chief of the of the 55 car so that was my first you know shot at being a crew chief and uh it was a handful of races maybe seven or eight races of the 87 season and then i was a crew chief then at the 88 season uh when we actually won with phil at talladega so we won a race that year and i think we finished in the top seven in points seven or eight in points well, here, so we here we go with here.
2: that a stellar career again. You're winning right out of the box. Yeah, it
0: was as a crew like chief said, right out of with. the gate.
3: Let's take a break. <laughs> and there's
2: more to come. We're talking to Andy
3: Petrie. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered
2: by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace is teaming up with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard to save you money on your vehicle purchase. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle in stock. Hey, Mike, there's a landing page online with all the info
3: you need to take advantage of this offer. FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. You can view inventory and more. You can even listen to any of the 80-plus episodes of Fast Car to NASCAR while there. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit fordlincolncharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. We're talking to Andy Petrie. Once again, here's Mike Wallace.
2: Well, Andy, we've learned, and I said on the break, now I know why you think this racing stuff's easy. That's all you did was <laughs> win early
1: on. Yeah, well, you know, I get to choose what I'm talking about, right? So I talk
0: about the good ones.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I have to leave all the negative stuff out. So yeah. you're doing
1: that deal with Phil, and uh, where where do you go next?
0: What's the next thing? Okay, so that, that
1: 88 season, uh, obviously, it went good for us. Uh, but it, in the middle of that, Harry Gant was driving for Travis Carter and, and how need them, uh, and they were not having success at all. And Harry was looking at looking to go elsewhere. He, he had given basically his notice that he was not going to drive that team next year, you know, going into the '89 season. Well, somehow they were able to put a deal together. Leo Jackson said he would run Harry, you know, full time, and then let his brother run Phil. Uh, so Richard Jackson basically took Phil Parsons and the. Copenhagen sponsorship and ran uh, full season and then Leo formed this team and we moved it to Asheville up there and actually in Arden uh, just outside of Asheville where we built a little small team up there to start you know running Harry full-time and uh you know we it was a really small effort it was behind Leo's manufacturing facility where he made he made a living doing machine work and stuff on A lot of racing things and performance parts, but uh, we we kind of just built that little race team in the back of that building and started racing in 1989.
2: Now in 1989, and I got to ask this that everybody hears and knows was was Harry Gant a a good race car driver then? Had he won a lot of races or
1: okay? So in in 1989, he was 49 years old. So as you can see, this this is people thinking that maybe his career was winding down to not you know to retirement age, right? Because they had had a couple seasons there uh, driving the thirty three for, for for you know Burton Howell Skull Bandit and Travis Carter, and so it, it had not gone well. But we felt like he, we could get more out of him, right? So it was a re rejuvenation, and we we did win a race. We won the fifth race out with him at Darlington, and uh, and had a pretty decent season in nineteen eighty nine especially with the little group that we had put together. I, I, I felt great about it. I thought, man, we got a lot of potential here. So that kind of set him back, back on fire. And, and um, you know, you know what kind of happened since then. We, we ran four years together, 89, 90, 91, 92 as, as his crew chief. And we won one, two, five, seven, nine races together. Yeah,
3: Those were the best years of his career, yeah.
1: really. Right? Oh, yeah. That that's what's crazy. I mean, you look at what he did. In 1991, he was 51 years old. And he won five races that year. I mean, you that'll never be broken. Don't Is don't that, that the year ever that he won everything that, in October,
2: be become Mr. October? Yep. Yeah. It was right. actually September. September, okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. Close, but yeah, that was Reggie in Jackson in October, yeah. Yeah. well you know it was some big deal
2: because didn't he end up getting tore up in martinsville and still come back and won the race or something yeah
1: yep so that would that was the fourth in a row and so rusty was obviously really good on short tracks He turned second to harry and it was a restart and they kind of got racing each other and got in rusty got into him and and boy it made, made harry so mad he was so mad about that And we got in there and pulled all the stuff off the car and got it where we'd go around the racetrack. And he started in the back, and here he goes, and he passed every single car (laughs) and ended up winning that race. It was crazy.
2: Here, here's Andy Petrie's. Again, this is easy right. stuff going on. <laughs> You're still only with, hearing with the a good stuff. I have, <laughs> I, have <not> heard <laughs> heard, I have not heard a struggle yet. Pass the field, win the race. Yeah. Now, did he pass everybody uh, on the
1: outside? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he passed quite a few of them. Yeah. He, he was amazing, man. He was just in this groove. That was, it just felt like he couldn't be beat. He, and he was winning Xfinity races at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, he just went for a month and didn't lose a race. Oh, he, I remember because no. I got
2: the opportunity to drive Ed Whitaker's car. And mm-hmm. uh, Harry was driving Whitaker's car and made that car famous in the Bush series. Yeah. You know, he won all the time in it.
1: Yeah, it was it was a good. Well, Harry time. was and in good p-
3: shape. That probably had something to do with it, right? Don't you? Oh think yeah, so? he was
1: excellent right. shape. I think he's a
3: fifty-something-year-old
2: man. He was, you know, yeah. he he was uh, he was built. H- him and Andy Petrie are built the same way. <laughs> yeah, no, I am mean, no, no, not
0: built like Harry. Can't.
2: Or however Andy's built, you know. <laughs> what what they always say about it? Harry? He was a he's a a roofer. He was a tough yeah, he was guy. A construction guy. You know, he was. He'd race on the weekends, and he'd work. You know,
1: he was a working class, working, man.
2: T- working guy. You know, so he was always tough and lean. Heck, the last time I seen Harry was not too many years ago. He still looked like he'd get in a race car to me. I know,
0: that's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, so after as those years are going on, then then where do you go? Where I mean, you're having really. Very good success. You're the crew chief of this program at that time, correct?
0: Yep, yep.
1: yep. And Leo kind of let me run the team like it was mine. I mean, he really gave me a lot of leeway and taught me so much. I mean, I can't even begin to talk about all the things that I learned from Leo Jackson. But um, there was an opportunity that popped up, just kind of unexpected. It was Kurt Schellmerdean retired as a crew chief for Earnhardt, and they were looking for somebody. I was not looking for that job. I was super happy with Leo. He was like my father. You know, he basically kind of laid it out where I could own that team in, you know, not too long a time frame, and uh, he was going to make it possible for me. So I I wasn't looking for that, but when it popped up, and I did, I did go down and talk to Richard and Dale about it. I realized, man, if I'm going to realize the goal of winning a championship as a crew chief, this is I cannot say no to this. You know, so it was a very difficult decision, but I decided to take it. you know, Leo and I kind of—I wouldn't say had a falling out, but it didn't go well.
2: I was going to ask how the story with Leo went at that point. It
1: didn't go well, <laughs> and and, I, and it was emotional for me. And but I knew I had to do it, and so I did it. And I told Leo, I said, "I've got to go win. I got to do this for my career." And he understood, but he was—he was really disappointed. So we go and win. You know, the '93 was first year. We ended up winning five races in the championship that year. And then we backed it up in ninety four with, you know, a handful of wins there and the championship again. Um, and I remember Leo came to me in the testing going into the ninety five season. He says, Well, have you got all this out of your system yet? Now, all <laughs> this all this winning. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> we says, still so haven't heard any bad stuff yet, have <laughs> we? But <laughs> so, so he goes so he offers me a chance to come back and buy his team and making it where I can afford it, right? He's gonna finance it for me and they make it where I could take it over. And uh and that would have that started the '96 season. So I had a whole year of this. I, I still raced in '95 here at RCR, and uh, we we won five or six races that year too. And um, I told Dale and Richard early on that this is the direction I was going. But we had a really good season after that, even. I mean, it was a great opportunity for me. So I left. I left here after the 95 season and went up, you know, basically was a crew chief for, for Leo till we could get the deal done, and we closed on it in October of 96 is when I, I closed on the race team, and uh, and it became Andy Petrie Racing.
3: So before we move on to completely to ownership of the next phase of your career, what was it like being a crew chief for Dale Earnhardt? You've got to have a story or two you want to share with <laughs> no,
1: us. I got many of them, but I'll tell you, it was really <laughs> tough in the beginning. I, I almost did not get make it through the first year because it was so difficult to come into a a super established, like dynasty of people here. And they're, you know, try to take over as their leader. Right. And they made it really hard on me. And, um, and Dale and I were button heads. We were too much alike. Um, you know, and so Richard brought us in and and set us down and said, look, man, you guys got to get on the same page here somehow. And he, he started making, forcing us to bond with each other. Right. (laughs) They, it, that's another whole podcast, too. <laughs> but, <laughs> bonding with it, Earnhardt. We've got two more right. yeah. shows already booked here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a good year, so, 2024. Yeah,
1: no. <laughs> so, yeah, so after we finally started bonding, that's when we got, became successful, and, and then we started winning and everything worked out. But uh, it, it was pretty amazing, really, to know that you had somebody that's, you know, that you're. It's in that car that's going to, no matter what, I mean, he's going to get the most and more out of it. Uh, and it's all it puts the pressure on you. You know, you got a lot of pressure on a crew chief to be, you know, making the calls and decisions for a guy like him.
3: Did he just disagree with some of the decisions you made? Is that is that what?
1: Huh, it was just more of he. You know, he's so forceful about you know being. You know, he was like, oh, I want to be. You know, caution comes out. I Don't I don't too to terrible for whatever it was. He would try to make the call. and say, look, man i'm i the one making calls not you you get paid to drive it he didn't <laughs> like that oh is uh, that right you know no and and, and richard was that's why him and my brother running. got
2: along so well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well,
3: well rusty knew everything right? especially yeah. when it came to chassis and yeah.
1: but finally he started you know he started letting me run the team the way i wanted to and and then it all worked out and it, the success came and i think that helped reinforce it all right so it was a it was a really good relationship, and became super good friends with with him and Teresa. We spent a lot a lot of time off time with them too. And uh,
2: how did you bond with Dale Earnhardt?
1: Just uh, one example. Okay, on so him. okay, so the, the so the first example was he says, "All right, Richard, me and him are going to bond. Everything's going to be fine." And we leave the office. And he, said, <laughs> he looks at me and he says, "Me and you, you're coming to dinner with me and Teresa. And we're going to Darlington, and we're going to you know if you're coming to dinner, it's just XXX, right?" I said, "All right." So I sit I sit beside him. He's got some more friends of his at this dinner. And he said, yeah, me and Andy are bonding right here. We're bonding tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, He's calling it out, stuff. right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so
1: it, during that, I used that as an opportunity to tell him how we were going to run the practice session at Darlington the next day. You know, we'd, we'd already qualified. That was on Friday. So Saturday morning was going to be a practice. And, and I was had some kind of out-of-the-box thinking what I wanted to do. The tires were not reliable at all back then. And I was I needed to run long runs till the tire failed to figure out where to put the set, you know, how to set the car up, right? And he's like, "What?" I said, "This it'll give plenty of warning." It just it, you know, right front will just go down. and We'll see how far it'll go. <laughs> he thought it was crazy. So <laughs> we go thirty-five laps in practice, or thirty laps. I think it makes been thirty the first run. Tire goes down. And he comes in. God turned Didn't hit the wall, thank God. So then we change the car again, and I take some camber out of it, and change some of the air pressure stuff, and reset this you know the balance, and go back and run again. Run it about five more laps, and it you know, say like thirty-five or forty laps, and tire gives it out again. We do this like three runs and extend how far we can run before the tire fails by, like, heck 10 or 15 laps. Hmm. And we're still pretty competitive. So we go out there and win that race. And uh, because of that, we could run so much longer uh, without the tire failing. And so I remember in victory lane, I just reached in the window, and I said, that's how you bond right there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's well, what
1: made it work. You know, the success came, and then that's when the confidence came too. You
2: know? That's beautiful. I, lo- I love that yeah. story right there. So you, you guys continued bond, and, yep. and everybody knew you were bonding because he told everybody you were bonding. <laughs> yeah. There's no hidden deal now. Pardon me, we're bonding. We're bonding. Give us a moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, winning those races make you bond. So, um, yeah. And that, that's in up through 95. Well, wh- where do yep. you go from there? What goes on from that point? I mean, you're it's so, got to be pretty hard to leave that program. You're winning championships. You're winning races. You're the man. He's the man.
1: Yeah, and then you leave there and you think, okay, I've got this. We're going to go down. I, Robert Presley's driving the Skull car at this time. Harry retired. Um, but we're going to go out there and win races in my mind, right? I, we're going to be able to get to, get things on the right track. Man, this is – you talk about how everything was easy. It wasn't easy in 96. Really? Right. 96 was a very tough year. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, Robert Presley and I had actually kind of been rivals driving some. I got to, we, which we didn't go into that much, but – I drove some late model races uh, over the years, you know, just kind of part time. And I raced against Robert some, and we butted heads a lot, right? We wrecked each other. And I say wrecked each other. I'm the one that's on the receiving end of that most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you know, we didn't get along that great. We are great friends to this today, but back then we weren't really on the same page. It was a difficult season. And so I, when I closed on the team in 1996, uh, in October, the first move I made was to replace the driver. And I, I put uh, Todd Bodine in it to finish the 96 season and then hired Kenny Schrader to drive uh, starting in 1997. So as basically my first full season as an owner.
2: Okay, and so you got to get rid of Robert just because you didn't like Robert, or he wasn't producing. Well, at we time
1: weren't or? having any success. It wasn't working. it okay. just wasn't working. And that's not to say it's Robert's fault. I think Robert's a great driver. Right. Uh, Skull, But the the thing was, to do the deal with Skull, they were, you know, they they were used to winning with Harry Gant. They were, you know, this this thing wasn't working for them if they weren't need to produce, cool
2: right? Team. Okay.
1: Yeah, I promised them I'd get them a top ten driver if they'd sign with me, and uh, they trusted me and i went out and hired kenny trader from rick hendrick um
2: big hire right there
1: it was it was a big hire for for me and it, it was um what made it all work and man i'll tell you what i probably had more fun racing with kenny than any years of my career you know we we never we didn't win but we did have a lot of fun we had a lot of fun racing with each other or i mean you know racing together and, and became close friends we're still close friends today and uh do so. you guys
3: drink a Budweiser or two?
1: Well, I think Kenny did. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't much of a beer drinker in the field, not. But. <laughs> he's good at that. You know. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he is good at it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> good spot for a timeout, Mike. We'll come back with the final segment. We're talking to Andy Petrie. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, it's Jeff Kent. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Thicken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off new or used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Thicken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved with local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. One more trip around the track. It's Andy Petrie once again. Here's Mike Wallace.
2: Well, Andy, we we talked in the break. All these really good shows end too quick. There's too much dialogue to talk about, so we're going to have to kind of fast forward this last segment. And uh, so you hired Kenny Schrader. You guys didn't win anything, but you really ran well at that point. You had fun. Schrader's a professional beer drinker we've established. (laughs) And uh, so where does it go from there? What's the next part of Andy Petrie's career?
1: Yeah, the ownership thing went really well for a while till it didn't. Um, you know, we ended up growing up uh, to two teams with your brother Kenny at first uh, with the square D, 55, and, and, you know, continued to have a lot of fun. And, and, and you know, we're still not winning, but we're having pretty decent success. Uh, I think we finished second with Kenny that year, one of those years, uh, at least once or twice. So having a lot of fun there. And then, you know, 9-11 hit, and that's when it got – challenging on the economic front and i was not one of those owners that had a ton of back you know back stock where i could you know weather a storm like that gotcha so it basically kind of took me out of the ownership uh and at the end of the 2002 season um or 2003 season i guess it was yeah you drove for me in 2003 a little bit so we were we were doing some um Xfinity stuff trying to stay alive and then basically. Hey, can I, had I to interrupt get, right
2: there yeah. a second? Because yeah. I, I know this would, would have been the error of in the time because you said I drove for you. So Jeff, Andy Petrie, and Andy, you stop me and correct me at any time that I'm saying something wrong here. Andy was the first in his group they they changed motorsports. And what I mean at that time the bump stops came along. Yeah. Running on the right front, running on the front of the car. I remember driving a car that Andy Petrie owned, or Phil Barcter all owned, but Andy Petrie took care of it for him right. at Daytona. I go down there. I'm sitting in the car, and I don't know anything about what these guys got going on except I hear they got this cool stuff. And all of a sudden, three guys get on the nose of the car and bury the nose into the ground. And it's like, what the hell did they just do? And then I go out on the racetrack and mm-hmm. I, I run in the bottom of the car's hitting. And some reason I got out of the car and I get back and they're cranking all these rounds into the rear of the car. I'm thinking this damn car, there's no way this car is going to it's going to be so high. Yeah. Well, they had perfected what they called bump stops you know that the front of the car runs down on the bottom they right. put chains on the rear but real soft springs and nobody else was doing that is that correct andy i mean this is yeah we we
1: pioneered a lot of that to lower uh, the wrote car? a lot of rules in the rule book about the, <laughs> these things you didn't break them <laughs> you just stretched kind of, them they they there wasn't any revolutionized yeah and changed the rule book right yeah. yep we uh, we went out there and got super creative um, and started doing a lot of things like that, and, and like I said, NASCAR finally did get a hold of it and make some rules and regulations around it. But uh, we were the ones that kind of pioneered that. I'm pretty proud of that. We had some smart people uh, working for us, you know, at that time, and and um, did some pretty cool things. But it, it wound up being where we couldn't sustain life, you know, after that, you know, economic downturn, and I couldn't find sponsors to replace the ones I had. And so, you know, I had been very successful, and I've decided not to you know, reinvest in it and try to see if I could make it through that. And so we sold out and uh, basically took a couple of years off. And, um, you know, it was a really good time in my life. I followed my daughter around playing sports and spent a lot of time with my family and then uh, was doing pretty good. I, f- I felt really good about where I was in life. And then ESPN called me. They just won the contract for the starting in 2007. And uh wanted to know if I was interested in, in being an analyst for ESPN. And I'm like, Wow, never thought about that, but seems like a great opportunity, and I just, you know, finally I decided I was going to do it. So I, I I did that for like eight years with ESPN.
2: Another see, Andy Petrie story, okay? Yeah. I'm at Bristol Motor Speedway, and th- this is a compliment to Andy. I mean, it's <laughs> it's an impactful part of my life uh, that a person made a comment to me. Andy has sold his race team. He's got rid of it, right? Yeah. And I th- I'm not sure if he was working for ESPN yet or getting ready to, and I – I, I asked, think this
1: was between
0: that. I think okay. it was a couple so the, years I was and,
2: and this was just a simple question. I mean, I didn't know what the, I didn't. I didn't really know Andy all that well. We. I knew him enough that, whatever. I go. So what are you going to do now, Andy? Like, you know, what are you going? You're not working now. And right. he looks me square in the eye, just as nice as can be, he goes, "What do you mean?" I says, "What are you going to do for a job?" <laughs>
1: No, I think it, you said, what are you going to do for a living? Yeah, okay.
2: Well, How are you going to make a living? Yeah, That's so, something said. like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I hit my head a few times, you know, right <laughs> right front the tower. But, but we, know, we both have shared this story because it was so – it meant so much to me. It was a statement that I'll remember to the To the day I go, you know. He goes, uh, I said, okay, w- what are you going to do for a living? He says, I-, I don't need to make a living. I've done made a living. He "I said you know, I've, I've already done that." Yeah. <laughs> T- tell him the story, Andy, because you know it better. Yeah, I
1: mean, I, I had, like I said, I had been, you know, pretty, you know, smart with my money over all the years and had success. Like we talked about all that stuff, and, and so I was always putting hay in the barn, and and then, like I said, whenever it came time to, you know, I may have to reinvest it to keep that, you know, ownership thing alive. I decided I wasn't going to do it, so. I basically just sold everything, and I was pretty comfortable, and I could live the life I wanted to live, and I didn't have to worry about, you know, what the, you know, paying the mortgage or anything like that because I'd already, you know, I kind of lived, you know, I didn't have debt. I'd paid everything off, and um, it's just in a good place. And okay. I tried to explain it, Which to is pretty Mark, cool, you know. right?
2: Yeah. I mean, if you could achieve that, especially before you're 60 years old or whatever, you know. He, he, he said it in such a way that it was so impactful. It's mm-hmm. like, save your money. You know,
0: yeah. You don't have yeah, to be old
2: before you retire. You yeah. know, is why I took it. Yeah. So I, I, I tried to follow his lead. Well, Thank well, you, I hope, Andy. I hope, I hope it made a difference. <laughs> it, it did. I've I told you this story <laughs> well, like three or yeah. four times now, right? That we well, we, this yeah.
3: is this is the only gig that both of us have, and we are a nonprofit organization. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh,
1: he must have listened. <laughs>
2: So, so because we're going to run out of time, there's so much stuff I want to cover. So ESPN comes calling, you respond to them, you become an analyst. What do you think about that? That analyst year, broadcast years.
1: It was awesome. I tell you, I love working for ESPN. W- Work with some great people. You know, your brother Rusty was the first one I was in the booth with. You know, Dr. Jerry Punch. I mean, Dale Jarrett later. I mean, it was just it, Alan Best. It was such a good time. And and you know, up in the booth, I, I explained this to people. It was so stress free. You know, we went, I got to go to every race and we never lost a race, you know, you don't lose, Yeah, you know, losing is what's tough in this sport. You lose a lot if you're right, if you're doing it competitively, but up there, you don't lose any. And it's, uh, you leave every race with a smile on your face and it was fun. I, it was a sad day when we lost the contract and, uh, and I was not able to be, a you know, a lead analyst in the booth, uh, for, for a major broadcast, but lucky enough that Fox, uh, kind of picked me up and I do, you know, a little work for them the next year as a rules analyst. And then. Uh, I still work for them doing the the race up show kind of once a week during the season
3: do you find did, did you take to that to the booth the broadcast booth naturally or was there a no. lot of training that went into that
1: no it was not it wasn't second nature at all for me and and I got to give Jerry Punch a lot of credit he'd been doing this for, for a long time and uh, he kind of took me under his wing and you know after every broadcast he would give me some advice he'd call me every you know every week and and give me constructive criticism, which I welcomed, right? It's sometimes hard to hear, but you you, you listen, you take it, and he made me a lot better. And um, So I, I had to work at it, but it was a lot of fun, man. Mm-hmm. I tell you, I, I really was sad when we lost that deal. That was
3: a good team, too. Jerry Punch was very good at what he mm-hmm. did. Alan Bestwick is one of the best, too.
1: He yes. is, yes. He is definitely one of the best.
2: So, so if I can ask you, Andy, and this doesn't really involve you, but you just made a comment that you won every race. And well, so, we didn't
1: lose. I said we didn't lose the race. I didn't say we won, okay, but I said well, we
2: didn't lose. <laughs> so I'm, I'm yeah. leading to a kind of a question yeah. of drivers that are retiring that are getting opportunities to be an analyst. You know, they they all use the phrase, oh, I'm tired of traveling. I want to spend time at home. Well, as a TV guy, you're on the road just as much as you were as a driver, right? You're you're. you're oh, yeah. You're you're at, don't, you're that that part
1: track. doesn't change. As a matter of fact, some of these drivers realize it's not as easy as it looks. I yeah. mean, Jeff Gordon did it for a few few years but it's a it's a lot of work i mean you put it put a lot of effort in it but the stress wasn't there the, the competitive you know that competitive stress that you, you've lived at your whole yep. driving yeah, you're, career. so you're
2: answering what i'm asking yeah. right there
1: the, it's just not you know it's just stress-free and it's okay. so so much more fun and it, and it makes it where you can travel every week and enjoy it and okay. uh, so that's what we did yeah so
2: uh, as these television opportunities are, are we'll call it coming to an end a little bit out of the clear blue uh, the least I, it was a clear blue to me and you tell me if there's a gap somewhere in there all of a sudden i hear Andy Petrie's at Richard Childress Racing right
1: cuz he clearly doesn't <laughs> yeah. need to work for a living Yeah, so he
2: does not say okay, the but,
1: money, man he's got <laughs> so here's the deal so here's what happens it is going good right my my daughter now is in college we're empty nesters i'm trying to i'm rebuilding helicopters and you know or trying to and make a little money selling them and it's a lot of work and I'm not making anything doing it. Right. I'm just doing it. to, And so finally I'm realizing that I don't really want to work that hard uh, to, to do this helicopter gig and, and it getting bored really. And so, so what happens is I had a helicopter a, a turbine Robinson helicopter and I knew Richard had all had over years had looked at and wanted to buy a helicopter. I said, Hey, I got one. I want you to look at anyway. And uh, he said, okay. He said, come down to the winery and I'll at least look at it. And so, we made it a lunch appointment, and I landed over there at his, at his winery took him around, rode in it for a minute, and then we just had lunch. And as we had lunch, he he was struggling with some of the things with his team and, and needed somebody to come in there to try to help with it, right? So we just started talking about it, and I realized I was a little bit bored and maybe wanting another challenge. And um, so he, we decided to give it a shot. And uh, so we we did that, and now, what is it, six years later? I'm still doing it, so and I enjoy it. I really do enjoy the competitive side of this. What
2: is it that you like? First of all, let me get to a – we can't ask you this question because you grew up right here in Denver. We always ask – we're normally talking to people that are driving from somewhere, you know, like Michigan or something like that. What's mm-hmm. What's your first car you ever drove down here? Well, I need you to share with Jeff and the world – What's your daily driver to work is? Currently. <laughs> it's a, it's current.
1: A- it's a helicopter. I flew it this morning.
2: See, yeah. <laughs> now,
3: how, how, yes, you, we, how many times have you sat in Charlotte traffic and thought to yourself, damn, if I had a helicopter, I wouldn't oh, have, yeah. have to do this
1: every afternoon. Now, I look down there, and I see all those guys. <laughs>
2: now, you, I'm going to tell you, you can classify as a, a badass. When you get in your helicopter, you fly to work, and you fly home and land in your front yard. You know, I mean, it's, yep. it's yeah. nothing better than that, which is pretty cool. It
1: is. I've, like I said, I've been so blessed in my life, you know, and that was another we didn't talk about the aviation side. That's a passion of mine and i kind of embraced it as i was doing the tv work and uh, and got my rating and then you know it's just gone from there and then it just works so well for this job i probably wouldn't be working here and driving an hour 20 minutes that's about what it takes to drive it i can fly it in about 20 minutes and um uh, you know that gives me a life at home too. So yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, it works.
3: That is cool. So, <laughs> set the scene for us. You got a nice helipad there in your backyard, or what? How's that work? Yeah, I do have a
1: helipad. It's on my front lawn of my my lake house. But I don't <laughs> use it as often as I do. I've got a building not not about a block from there that I I land and put it inside. So okay, keep, gotcha. Keep it in so hands,
3: do you so yeah. you do have a commute from the helipad to the house. Oh yeah, it's, it's about <laughs> the golf cart. Yards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: You know you know Jeff, when I grow up, I swear to God I want to be Andy Peter.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just like him. That sounds pretty good. Cool. Uh,
1: yeah. uh, that's a compliment, thanks. Yeah.
2: So as we're uh, we're running out of time, but we still gotta kinda of, so how is everything at Richard Childress Racing
1: going? How well, I heard you got a new you know,
2: promotion we've read, you got a, a big title. Yeah. So what's all that mean?
1: Well, it's uh you know, it's not a big change for me. I mean we're we're kinda of moving some people into the competition uh department here we moved justin alexander up to be competition director and then i'm kind of moving up into the executive vice president role um still have a very big involvement in the company and the team but um it is changing slightly to kind of set you know richard childress up for and and rcr up for success and for many years to come you know so that's kind of where we're at with that um I, i super enjoy it you know we you know we've won a lot of races. Uh, we won three last year with Kyle. Not nearly enough. You never win enough, right? But um, it's been fun building it back and trying to get you know get this team back in a, you know in the mode of being a powerhouse in the sport. And uh, if we've made some of the right moves, maybe next year we can uh, we can up the game some more and make make a move towards that.
2: So totally different person, different comparison, same branded race team RCR. Dale Earnhardt. And now you're racing with Kyle Busch. Yeah. Any comparisons between those two guys and the way they operate? I say
1: say not so much on a personal level, but, yes, they are as far as their, you know, their talent, what they bring to the team and the company. Um, You know, both are icons of the sport. You can say, you know, arguably Dale Earnhardt might be the greatest driver it's ever driven. Kyle's kind of in that conversation at the same time, right? So that's comparable. Uh, both very demanding, you know, they, they want the best and they're not going to settle for anything less. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of similarities in that. And I've really enjoyed working with Kyle. I didn't really know him well until we started working together and, um, and I've enjoyed it. I, I've, the relationship has been great. Um, you know, like I said, we, we've been up and down on our performance some, but, uh, we're, we're trying to get that more consistently, you know, at the top.
3: Well, I um, recommend
1: that you two bond a little in the offseason. Yeah, maybe. A yeah, maybe <laughs> I think what I need to do is I need to force Randall. I think they've already done it though. Randall and and Kyle have already bonded. They don't. They don't need me to help them.
2: Andy, Andy, you'll love this story, and I'm going to end it because we're going to. I'm going to make it quick. Randall Burnett race go-karts against my wife Carla back in St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> no kidding. When oh, that's was awesome. A, when he was a little kid, his dad Yeah, that's right. He is from St. Louis. Yep, yeah, he was from St. Louis and his brother Jeremy owns Millbridge mm-hmm. now, so they both ended yep. up down here. They rented a house from my wife and I when they moved down here. How about that? And all these years later, this little kid that was a little badass in go karts.
0: So Car- Carla beat him,
2: right? She did. But, <laughs> oh, uh, that's awesome!
1: I can't wait to go see. I'm gonna go to his office here in a minute. Yeah, uh, but <laughs>
0: what, what, what you it. gotta
2: tell him though, because we, we, were, we he was on our show and we were kidding him. Mm-hmm. See, I knew him when he was Randy Burnett. Yeah. yeah, They
1: still call him Randy. A lot of people. So, so everybody's like, he yeah. gave
2: us the reason of Randall when he was over Joe Gibbs or something right. like that, right? Yeah. And it's like, no, you're still Randy. <laughs> that's a little kid,
1: but uh, yeah. No. Uh, he does a great job, man. Him, him and Kyle are, are they, like I said. I think they have a great relationship, and um, looking forward to another good season.
2: Well, Andy, I just want to thank you from from a friend to a friend. Thank you for taking the time coming and joining us. Your your story is intriguing. You have. Whether you realize it or not, you've booked yourself on at least two more
1: podcasts. <laughs> I mean, that's not what I was trying to do, but hey, maybe if we can fit them in, we'll We'll fit them it. in, you know, because... Okay. You,
3: and you just keep winning, Andy. You just keep winning. Okay, we'll see if we can do that. Maybe we can talk
1: about that, too. <laughs> Perfect.
3: All right, there goes Andy Petrie. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by MyRacePass and NASCAR Digital Media.